0: All right, this is uh, episode three of season one of the Sonship Podcast. So to recap, in episode one, I talked about how uh, personas uh, mixed with their business model really extends, uh, you know, their influence is the shape of humanity. So having a clear definition of what's, what is your model for humanity does matter. Uh, Minds is a citizen owner and with a focus on ownership. And so in the second episode, I compared ownership versus serfdom and made the case that the vast majority of people in both the real and digital economy are serfs. And that's not necessarily a great model for humanity. So this third one, I'm going to talk about what are the principles of ownership? What are the characteristics of ownership so that we can really think if we had a clear canvas, what does it look like to design a model that has ideal Ownership. Now, obviously, there's always trade-offs. You can't really achieve everything, but having that picture really makes a difference of what difference when you have a concept of pristine ownership. So, let's go through some concepts that really make ownership, um, you know, ideal. So, the first one is it should be easy to understand. This sounds like a strange concept, but if you really look at the things we own and why we own them, the ease of use, the ease to understand, actually does matter. So imagine that in order to operate a car, you had to have thousands of hours of of training and and have to go through a, an in-depth manual, of thousands and thousands of pages, and super complicated. What would happen to ownership? The amount of people who choose to own it would Plummet, or those who did choose to buy it would cause a lot of carnage on the roads and the freeways. I actually think that the same thing can apply to anything that's that's complicated. Look at financial instruments, uh, options and derivatives. Sure, they're not owned by as many people. People have to be very knowledgeable about it. But that complexity has also led to um, some. Some financial carnage um, from people who are either understanding it or maybe some who some who don't, um, and then we can take a look at uh, ownership of stocks and ownerships of companies. Those are not actually that easy to understand. Uh, if you look at a balance sheet, and an income statement, and a 10K, you realize that um, offering that as a means for ownership to a broad number of people is also. Uh, very limited. That's probably why things like an index fund are easier to understand for most people, and so they choose to have a sense of um, ownership of that. So they kind of understand that. But even then, uh, the number of people who voluntarily opt-in to a 401k is relatively relatively low, unless it's, you know, sort of like an opt-out situation by their their employer. So ease of understanding of the asset being owned, I think is something to really uh, think about when trying to design in the ownership space. The second is what is easy to purchase. And we've seen that non-ownership, pure consumerism, has become easier and easier. And that uh, behavioral instinct uh, applies to ownership uh, as well. So uh, if we take a look at Amazon's one-click purchase, that's super great for consumers um, but we, we, if we can extend that to ownership, meaning something that conveys those characteristics I described before, you know, it's economic productive, it creates wealth generation, it creates a, um, um, a mindset shift, all those other things, uh, it, it, making it easier to own really matters. We see how Robinhood, for better or for worse, made things easier to purchase with, with stocks and more people were involved. Yeah, there's some negative downsides because they also allow people to buy things in ways that people didn't necessarily understand, which gets back to the complexity part. But homes also have a lot of complexity in the uh, completion process to purchase. So that illustrates um, a negative model of of, um, what is good a good pristine form of ownership in terms of its ease ease of purchase. The third one is the uh, low total cost or price of entry. If our goal is to extend ownership to as broad a number of people as possible, so that to those for whom those benefits you know accrue uh, for both themselves and for the broader society or even for the asset itself, uh, you want to have low prices of entry, not high. So let's go back to the example of homes. Uh, those are out of reach for most people, and we see that that has some negative impacts on certain parts of society. Let Let's setting aside you know the economic benefits and differences of mobility for renting and 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 homes. That that's a whole other discussion. But um, so 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 making that lo- the low price, low total price of entry really really matters. And by total price, I, I don't mean that the price is big and then you bought, have a huge loan and now your price is low because you're highly leveraged. It really does need to be a small total price of of entry that's in a meaningful way so one way that things have tried to solve this uh through you know home ownership and certainly with uh ownership of businesses has been through fractionalization making smaller and smaller pieces and you smaller and smaller pieces um of a given asset but i believe that a, if we're starting from scratch and looking at what makes a pristine ownership, atomicity should also be valuable. Meaning you should have a means to fully own whatever it is in its meaningful, a meaningful unit. So let's take in a counter example is real estate crowdfunding to own. So that's great. Uh, there's a lot of uh, benefits in terms of Reducing risk, allowing you to um, gain a a broader portfolio through that diversification. You still have a sense of ownership, but but, but you're still fractionalizing ownership. And I think if one of the benefits is a sense of ownership and governance, Uh, that fractionalization is not ideal. It's certainly possible. It's very common. Uh, REITs have been around for a fairly long time, and people seem to enjoy that model. But I think if we're starting from from, from a blank slate, finding ways to get as close to atomicity so someone really owns a fully productive unit that conveys on its own clear governance that's understandable and easy to purchase, it is, is also very valuable as, a comp, as an idea for ownership. The next one is a short productivity feedback loop. And so, what I mean by that, it, it means that there's productivity, ideally economic productivity, that's readily demonstrated by owning, it's part of the experience. So owning something that, so let me have a, have, a, have a funky example, is my children have Tamagotchis. So there's a short feedback loop. I don't know if it's that productive, but they like have ownership over this little Tamagotchi because it's asking to be fed, to have its um, poop clean, to have a bunch of things happen. So there's some feedback loop that's happening. But let's go back to ownership. Showing that it's actually showing productivity versus having people have only have a very long, long time preference to like see the value, um, yeah, I think really extends and increases the likelihood of people feeling that sense of ownership. So for example, homes that generate a rent check every month, that's a very short feedback loop. Uh, Dividends from a stock that come every quarter, that's a short feedback loop of the value of the ownership. Seeing the price of the asset continue to change um, on a weekly or a monthly basis um, shows that there's some productivity. And so having that as a characteristic so it doesn't become abstract or it only is meaningful in a super long time preference is also a valuable component of ownership if we're trying to democratize it and make it as accessible to as wide a number of people as possible. That being said, it should still have flexible time preference, meaning a broad segment of the population will all have different time preferences. Some only care about the short-term return, and they don't really care or have a sense of where the future will lie, and they just want to generate usable and disposable um, cash as um, short as possible. Some have a longer time preference, and they'll, so they'll realize this thing is going to grow longer, and they want to be able to like take benefit of having that longer time preference. So a great ownership asset allows people to do both readily and easily. And then the last one has to do a little bit with you know the concept of complexity. But to me, it's it's important to pull out on its own, especially when we compare traditional ownership to things like either either real estate or stock, is to remove the necessity to pick. I think stock, individual stock ownership is hard for a broad segment of society because it's really hard to pick well. And so index sort of makes more sense in that regard. And so any kind of thing where you have to drive uh, picking, and we'll see what I mean by that when I talk about the stack in the digital economy, you wanna remove the picking. You wanna find out what models that somebody, by owning this asset, participates as broadly as possible into the overall economy of the related you know, asset class, sort of, which is why you know, Warren Buffett and others kind of like say, hey, just pick an index fund, because you're not gonna spend the time and maybe don't have the expertise to be a good picker. So all those things, I think, are, are characteristics of pristine ownership. And now I'm going to transfer those principles over to how can we apply those when looking at the digital economy and maybe also using the comparison against the, the physical economy to kind of like see where opportunities where We can actually improve the digital ownership experience for as broad number of people um, as possible that hasn't been possible um, before. All right. That's it for this. Thanks. See you on the next one.